0: This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went, and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hello, everybody. This is Lane Kawoka with the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast. I've got Buck Joffrey. Are you absolutely bored at social gatherings because everyone is super passionate about their J-O-B or too shameful to get naked and talk about their finances? Been drinking the Simple Passive Cashflow Latte? Got your own coffee parcel and feeling a little lonely re-engage with friends by sending them to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash start or text the word simple to 314-665-1767 to begin the free web course the journey to simple passive Cashflow, flow so that they can get back up to speed with financial independence and investing again join the web course the journey to simple passive Cashflow. Go to simplepassivecashwell.com backslash start or text the word simple to 314-665-1767. Remember, if you don't tell them now about it, who are you going to have a midday lunch with when everyone else is at the day job? How's it going, Buck?
1: Good. How are you doing, man?
0: Good, good. It's been a while. I think we had you on podcast 17. Yeah. Entrepreneur, Dr. Buck Joffrey.
1: It has been a long time. I think that was, uh, I did that for, in my, my house in Chicago, and I'm yeah. not even in Chicago anymore.
0: Yeah, and um, you're on, what, episode well over 100 right now on Wealth Formula Podcasts. Yeah. yeah, I think 104, 105, something like that. And uh, definitely got a lot better. Remember that editing that first podcast and say, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of ahs and ums are gone yeah. now, huh?
1: Well now I've got an editor on, on mine, so who who has to deal with all of my ahs and ums and takes them all out. But uh yeah, the podcast has taken off. It's it's in the business category in the top thirty, it's been it's in the investing category in the top ten. Um so it's um
0: yeah, it's 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 going very well. You guys can go back and check out that podcast, but I want to kind of dig into your story here a little bit because you know we kind of just briefly touched upon it basically you're a high paid doctor then you uh you got fired right kind of yeah <laughs> describe yourself as an employee I mean looking back at it, you're a little younger
1: yeah you know the the interesting thing is it was like a a transformation because when i was uh I, uh, w- when you're in medical school and when you're in uh, residency, um, in order to succeed, you have to be, I mean, honestly, you really do. And I'll just be honest, you blatantly have to be a massive butt kisser, right? You just have to kiss butt. And the more you kiss butt, the better you will do when you're on the wards, um, you know, as, as a medical student, when you're, on the, when you're a resident, it's just this massive hierarchical thing. And so I was quite good at, at ass kissing. <laughs> I was quite good.
0: What you put yeah. your mind to you. What
1: yeah, you exactly. You. I mean, it was I was a dedicated ass kisser. And um, I don't, you know, for me at the time, I think what I was just thinking is, hey, it's an end to it. It's a means to an end, right? I mean, I, I know these people influence my career. And so I'm going to make them like me. I know what I need to do in order to get you know good grades. And I know what I need to do to. Um, you know, be liked. In residency, actually, I have to say that what happened was pretty quickly, I just, you know, I wasn't a very good resident because in medical school, I was good at the butt kissing, but I think I burned out. I burned out on butt kissing (laughs) by residency. And I actually started to become who I really am, which is a a horribly unemployable individual. And I think, I think that's where it really started, you know, is just, feeling like i didn't i just didn't like working for anybody else and um and so that was a major driving force behind me ultimately that um, you know that that led to where i am and sometimes getting fired which i did from my first job about 9 months in uh, is like the best thing that could happen i got fired because of man of disagreements with management i was working for a big company person who was overseeing me was like her last job was a manager as a manager at like one of these major hair salons, like Vidal Sassoon or Mario Chiucci or something like that. And I and I just I couldn't believe I had to like answer to this. <laughs> and you lady. guys
0: make a lot more than right. Then, what you make a lot more than those guys, right? As oh doctors. yeah, uh,
1: I mean over the office manager, yeah. I mean I was making about half million bucks, and maybe she was making fifty, sixty. But she technically had like some ability to boss me around and I didn't like it. (laughs) And ultimately she reported corporate and blah, blah, blah. And they made up these stories about how I was going to start my own practice in compete. And I got, I was asked to leave at that point, but uh, that was actually a really, really good thing for me. I think part of the problem with high paid professionals in general and good students, and you know, you were one of them too, Lane, so you'll get this. You get in a habit of success, right? You get in a habit of of getting A's. And when you get A's, you know, people think, you know, you get this positive feedback. It's almost like a Pavlovian loop. And so you want more of it and you want more success. You want more A's. You want people to tell you what to do. You do it. And you're like this panting dog that's wagging its tail. And you get into that cycle. And it's very, very difficult to break out of that by your own decision to all of a sudden say, hey, I'm going to stop doing this, and I'm going to take a risk of failing and doing something on my own. Um, so it's, sometimes it's easier if somebody kicks you out <laughs> and makes you do it, and you're in free fall, and you're like, whoa, I kind of <laughs> like this. And that's what happened to me.
0: Yeah, you know, I never—I actually had a similar experience I never really talked about it in the podcast, but I'll go ahead and tell you this now. But I'm not going to go into the details Mm -hmm. since they'll probably uh, send me a a nasty letter. But you know, I was working for this big company and I was working them slaving away at for like eight years, traveling on the road for like five years straight. You know, living in hotels, and I got put in this uh, $120 million project, kind of a uh, precedent setting. I really don't want to go into the details. I'll tell you late another day, Buck, but basically I wrote like an email a wrong way saying something was this way and it wasn't. And they brought me in one day. I get this outlook in invite with HR. <laughs> you no, know, they bring me in with my, my manager who, you know, it's just one of those pleasers, you know, well, younger people poised for higher growth Right. and the director and the HR person. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I know where this is going. You know, it's one of those, uh, hey, you got 90 days to get your stuff together, or we're going to fire you. Yeah. And I'm Like, you know, he, I've been here for eight years. I'm actually pretty good at this stuff. You know, what the heck did I do, right? And it yeah. was all because of that, you know, that questionable email that I sent. That was- Like nothing, you
1: put you on like probation or something?
0: Yeah. And you know what it is, is like, you know, when something like that goes out and there's precedent setting with other legal matters, and they have to separate you from the company. And I'm like, okay, okay. You know, because in the meeting, I'm like, you know, generally want to help out, right? Like, I'm like, okay, what is it that I need to improve on? You know, can you give me any specifics? And they're like, ah, I'm like, okay, I got it. That's cool. Thanks for the well,
1: well, let me let me ask you this because this is this is pretty classic, right? I mean, uh, you were an A student. Were you, or it might be more like a B or C. More student. like
0: a B student, yeah.
1: Okay, well, so that's probably why you're actually an entrepreneur, right? So, because <laughs> you actually occasionally failed, right? I didn't. Yeah. And that feeling that you get when somebody is scolding, you, right? It's almost sort of like, you know, it's like getting a bad grade in school, right? Tell right. you didn't do something right. It's a terrible feeling. Right and we we want very much to avoid that kind of feeling. That's what keeps us driven uh you know, to perform and continue to you know to please. we're We're, we're trained to be pleasers, right? That's what we are. at school, you know, think about it, the whole school system that we have, uh it is so the school system that we have, you know, the 12, 12 grades and all that, so this was this was something that was created back during the industrial Revolution. And, um, and if you think about the way that the, this thing is set up, it's almost like a conveyor belt, right? You go first grade, plop, second grade, plop, you get information at each one of those, uh, at each one of those stations. And then 12 stations later, you have the final product. Of course, some people fall off the conveyor belt. They don't make it. (laughs) And then, and then some products are, you know, come out a little bit nicer and they go on, you know, for for a little finish in in the form of professional school but it's a very stereotype kind of of school system that we have and you know we we are all sort of programmed we're all like robots that come out of that and we just try to absorb and we try to and and we're told that if we can absorb this stuff that's success and so it's it's difficult to to have these kind of you know different life situations outside of that, because you're not used to, you know, all of a sudden you're like, okay, well tell me what to do better. Because in school, they could tell you what to do better, right? You got a math problem wrong, get it right next time lane,
0: but you can't do that anymore. It's very frustrating. Right, right. And and that same emotion comes up, right? You get angry, right? You got angry. Yeah,
1: you're very angry. And then you can't do anything about it because you don't want to get fired. And that's like, that's the worst feeling because it's like, You know, you're like a, you're like a well-paid man in a cage.
0: Yeah. And you're like, these these bozos, like, you know, at the time I had a couple of rentals and I, it it all became super clear. I was like, what is this bozo telling me to do? I make more than them.
1: I know it's terrible. It's terrible. And I think that's one of the things that I couldn't deal with. And listen, I know there's plenty of people out there who are just happy with their, with their gig and, and good for you. I mean, it, it actually is not a blessing to be unemployable. It's, uh, you know, I have been lucky in that my entrepreneurial stuff has, has gone well for me and, um, I make a lot more money than I would have as an employee. But on the other hand, you know, sometimes I look and think, you know, this is kind of a curse, right? I mean, I mean, think of all these people who are, seem to be pretty darn happy just, you know, going to work and, and clocking in, clocking out. <laughs>
0: Right, I mean, it's like that guy in the Matrix, right? He took the red pill, and then he got all pissed off, and he was like, "Then he tried to screw everybody, right?" When they're in the yeah. Matrix, yeah, he didn't want to be awakened.
1: Uh, yeah, right, right. But I kind of like it. I kind of like being in this this world. Um, I kind of think of the entrepreneurial world as as being a little bit more gritty, and it's sort of closer to the underbelly the of of the world, right? It's like we. You know, at least for me, it's like, you know, I, I get to eat what I kill <laughs> and it's a rush all the time. So it's kind of fun.
0: Once you got fired, then you read the cash flow quadrant.
1: No, I actually, it was the other way around. What happened was I think, you know, I finished residency and I couldn't figure out why I was pissed off all the time. And, you know, I, I got disgruntled from academics. I was a big academic guy. I used to write a bunch of papers and book chapters and all that sort of thing <laughs> and then decided yeah, just you know, that was my way of that was my way of keeping score back then. Now it's making money. But so what happened was that I decided I wasn't going to stick with Demix, which was a big surprise to a lot of people in the program. And uh, but I didn't know what I was going to do. So I got married the day after residency graduation, and my wife and I went to Puerto Vallarta. And on the way back, you know, it was a dingy Mexican airport, and you got this you got the little bookstore that's about as big as a. Uh, maybe your apartment there, like, or something like that, <laughs> probably but. a closet, No, just a little closet. And, um, and there was like two books in there and one was like some romance harlot novel kind of thing. And the other one was Kiyosaki's cashflow quadrant. So I grabbed that and I read it on, I literally read it on the plane and it was transformational. And then for me, I just realized, well, gosh, there's this whole new world. I I'm not, I don't have to be in this world where I everybody's my boss and I have to, you know, I have to be controlled and I have to listen to what people tell me to do or have the fear of losing my, you know, job or my position. And and that's really what brought it on. And ultimately I, I will tell you that Robert Kiyosaki, no question in my mind, is responsible for me getting fired uh, <laughs> in that first job. Because he just gave me the itch. And I told him that by the way. I told him that on the summit a couple Years ago, I was like, "You know, I told him the whole story. I'm just telling you right now, and he was laughing, and he's like, "Well, he's like too bad we lost one of our doctors, and I'm like, Well, no, I don't see it that way, so
0: <laughs> so you know you already had this itch, you know a lot of people they always talk to uh, two other excuses that they have versus they spent all this sunk costs going to residency or going to this high professional school getting the accreditation, and then the second thing is you know what will their parents say?" Well, yeah. what were you thinking on those two fronts
1: well my parents oddly enough didn't really care they just you know i had the medical degree and so my mom got to say her son was a doctor <laughs> and my dad and my dad is a real estate guy you know he's he's been a slum lord for 15 years so he was pretty happy he was trying to talk <laughs> talk me out of going to med school because he was he, an engineer right yeah he was an engineer <laughs> And, um, you know, came to the, you know, from India, he came from, uh, India in 1967. I was born in 73 and started out. And, and here's the funny thing, Lane, is, um, so he actually ended up getting fired, uh, from his job because, because he was like calling around and trying to make real estate deals from his office and they caught him
0: <laughs> and he wouldn't
1: stop. So they fired him. How funny is that? I mean, Totally. I mean, the apple does not fall far from the tree. Exactly. Yeah,
0: you know, I, I hear that a lot. You know, these employers they they'll let you watch porn at your desk and do all this kind of stuff, but as soon as you start to make money on the side, like you do a little internet survey, they fire you. you know?
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so so my dad, you know, is total gritty immigrant guy who's just like you know buying cheap houses in in you know in the ghetto and go and like I don't know how many times he's almost been killed. I mean, I rem- actually, there's a story my parents laugh about now, but it's like how I saved my dad's life when I was like three years old because some guy came at him. Uh, <laughs> some guy came at him, like a tenant came at him with a knife or something like that. And I started screaming and the guy got freaked out and ran away. But um, yeah, that's my dad. <laughs> yeah. Though, so, so no, that wasn't a real issue. What was the other one you said? The The issue of, oh, all the training and stuff.
0: Yeah, all the sunk costs, you know, all these years went into this. You know, maybe I'll just try and do another six months or 18 months, which ultimately ends up to be another five.
1: Well, remember, for me, what, what I, I didn't leave medicine, what I decided to do is say, listen, I have this skill set and this degree and everything. What can I do that takes me out of the W 2 quadrant? You know, what so what I did is I started my own business. But at that point, like I was reading voraciously about business and entrepreneurship and all this. And so I started right off the bat saying, okay, well, I'm not going to put my name on the door because that's, that's exactly what every dumb surgeon does. Cause they want the ego thing, right? They want to be right. famous. They want to be a famous doctor. Right. When everybody's
0: doing it, don't do yeah. it.
1: Yeah. So I had a brand, it was a cosmetic surgery brand that I, in Chicago that just, you know, I took, TV, radio, internet. I mean, I didn't have the money for any of it. I I borrowed it all. Uh, I had zero money. I was broke and it worked. So, you know, the first six to nine months of that, I didn't make any money. I mean, it was just nothing. You know, I had, I, we were down to like, uh, at that time, my wife and I, we had, my oldest daughter was nine. I think she was eight or nine um 8 or 9 months old she we had we were living in an, uh, uh, a rental and we were down to like our last 2 grand my wife didn't know of course i never told her that but uh until later uh she would have freaked out on me but um the next year uh, the next year like i made a million bucks for the first time you know and so it's uh that that's how it happened so i just took what i just took this concept in my head of okay well I can just do this on my own. Um, I'll give it a try and and just use some of these principles and try to get out of that W two and maybe I'm an S, maybe I'm an S for a while, and then I can kind of you know self employed guy and then I can phase myself out because I have a brand and I'm not just making myself famous and have a couple guys working for me. That's exactly what happened. So so right now I live in Santa Barbara. I've got a couple guys met Chicago office. There's a couple more businesses that I started in Chicago since then. Jeannie runs them all. You you met Jeannie at uh, the note buyer conference. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty much what happened. And then as far as the real estate stuff, guys, you know, this, this is the thing to remember is that like, there's a lot of real estate groupies out there. And the idea of real estate sounds really good, right? I mean, who doesn't want passive income and all this, what is it? Smart passive income, smart. What is it? Simple. Simple, simple passive simple. income. Simple passive. Smart, that's Pat Flynn, right? Yeah. So you're simple. <laughs> He's smart. Um, but uh, but remember, uh, there, there's a formula to all this, right? There's a formula, and I always call it the wealth formula. And the wealth formula ultimately is...
0: If you're listening to this podcast and implementing the strategies discussed, you're likely to become financially free in three to seven years, whether or not you choose to use my coaching services or not. For most of you I talk to in our free intro coaching calls, I see a theme of mission and investing for greater good. I found an investment that pays 20% of their revenue to improving the lives of their community by improving living conditions and paying for children's education. To learn more about this investment, check out Simple Passive Cashflow backslash coffee. And by the way, it's not all altruistic. This specialty coffee makes for an amazing pro forma
1: the math behind it is simple. You have to have a lot of money to invest, which is a mass. You have to have money to invest some kind of money in the first place. And then you utilize velocity of money and, and leverage. And that's how you make a lot of money. The thing that people forget a lot of times is the whole M part, the mass, uh, the, the actual fact that they actually have to have to have money <laughs> going to create cash flow. So you're like, yeah, I want to, you know, I'm going to have, $40,000 of cash flow a month, you know, I want
0: to get a thousand units, yeah. I want a
1: thousand units and you know, a thousand, you know, all this stuff. And that's great, but you got to say, okay, well, you do need to have a little bit of money in order to do that. Right. So that's where I think that I'm a little bit different. I think I like to kind of come at this whole thing holistically and say, okay, well let's figure out how are you going to make more money as well? because if you make if you can figure out how to make more money you can create more passive cash flow. So there's a there's a step that people frequently forget and I think that that's one that I like to focus on as well.
0: Yeah, you you've told me this a while back and I I kind of embodied it in in terms of the engineering way, you know, you can only invest in in real estate and make like 20% plus or minus 5% unless you're doing super crazy stuff which I wouldn't suggest. You're not going to make much higher. So do the math and, you know, this is what you're going to get in 5, 10, 15 years. But if you want more than that, always comes back to that square one. Like you said, you got to make more money. So I was like, well, got to make more money.
1: Well, right. And, and you know, um, so what can you do? I mean, you can do, there There are a number of ways you can do that, but they're, they're, really, they're really, some in some way, shape or form involved being uh, entrepreneurial. Whether, I mean, honestly, that's literally is like, you know, even if that means just driving for Uber, it's still like you know, if I was a resident and there, when I was a resident, if Uber was around, I totally would have driven for Uber. I was looking <laughs> for something like that, but there was nothing back then. Um, you know, and there's so many different ways to make more money. Um, the idea is is uh, and th- this is important though because even like you know when you hear Robert Kiyosaki, um, one thing that he says that I don't know if people really catch on to what he means by this, but he says that. It, my businesses buy my real estate. That's what he says. So Robert Kiyosaki, um, who everybody knows and and thinks of, is this mass, you know, as the real estate guy, right? He's a real estate guy. That's what you think of him. But the truth of the matter is, the, the his massive amounts of cash flow come from the Rich Dad Company and the book sales and all that. That's makes, makes all of his money. And then he invests his money in real estate and he told me um, on the cruise, he said, you know, it's funny that most people seem to think of me as the real a real estate guy, but really I'm a guy who invests in real estate. Mostly I just invest with Ken McElroy. <laughs> That's what he told
0: me. So apartment buildings, yeah.
1: So yeah, you don't have to. And with Kenny, of course, now you're talking about, you know, like you said, I mean, and Kenny's got a great track record over time and it's an annualized return. Maybe it's, you know, 20% plus, but I mean, in the, in the first place, where do you create, more income. You have to figure out a way to do that. If you really want to get out of whatever you're calling it, the rat race, the golden handcuffs, the cubicle, escaping the cubicle, whatever it is for you, you have to figure out how you're going to make more money first. And I look around lane and there's so many ways to do it. And I'm, I'm always amazed at like, if I mean, to me, it's, it's a, um, it's like being a kid in a candy store, right? You just got to yeah, just pick something and go with it. I mean, I'm just looking, we were at this note buying thing, right? And if you're a sm- smart guy or gal or whatever, and you really sunk your tooth in this note buying thing, you probably make some money And that. I just interviewed uh, this land guy, Mark, Mark Podolsky.
0: Yeah. 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 The land geek.
1: Yeah. So I, I kind of thought when I told I told, uh, I told him this too. I, when I heard about what he was doing, I thought this is a big scam. I just wanted to <laughs> kind of find out what he's doing, but, I think he's pretty legit. I mean, and he's a smart guy. He's like a um, investment banker before. What he's doing is pretty genius. And and if you look at these different things, if you just sink your teeth into them, there's a million things out there like this that may not take a huge amount of time if you have nothing else besides your your job and you want to try to do something else. But it could result in making quite a you know quite a uh, decent sum of money that you can then use to invest in these slow burn things like real estate.
0: Right, right. And yeah, let's talk about a few of those because I've heard you say, you know, use the baseball analogy too, right? Like everybody sees the guys going after these home runs, but they don't see the guys taking the singles initially. You know, what were some of those chipper uh, businesses you started initially?
1: I I don't know if it's chippers because I don't really like at this point, it's quite the opposite of what you're saying now. Because when I look at businesses and I've started... I've started about five businesses now and um, separate different kinds of businesses. Um, and uh, what, what I've realized was that, that pretty much they're all the same effort, but some have ceilings of maybe a million dollars and then others really don't have a ceiling, right? Like they could scale into, you know, a hundred million dollars. And it's the same effort. So I, I think that's one thing to think about first is if you're going to get involved with something, if you got to think anyway, as Donald Trump, and I hate to quote that guy, but uh, as Donald Trump said, if you're going uh, to think anyway, think big, right? So the, the interesting thing is that a lot of these things that you find, you have to look at them. There's a lot of shiny objects out there, but you have to think how much effort is there that's going to go into this? And, and how much would it actually pay me I mean one of the things that one of the things that I think and I'll just you know people are really into this small um medical facility thing I think that's a perfect example of that right
0: Yeah I mean you the last podcast you were saying okay this is the next thing I'm going to try and do Yeah exactly <laughs> right but you know
1: I I get smarter over time I mean I I definitely am am constantly changing my perspective in the last podcast we did to me the idea of You know, putting something together like this and making it, you know, 300 grand a year sounded appealing. But then I started thinking, hey, this is actually actually a lot of work. Yeah, because once you make one, you got to do it again. You got to do it again. You got to do it again. So if you really want to scale, that's a tough one. It's very operations intensive. And if it's operations intensive, it becomes managerially intensive and it's brick and mortar. Before you know it, you've got, you know, You've got some significant risk on your hands, and um, so that's why I kind of opted out of that and and there's but there's lots of different ways where you don't have a huge amount of risk and that you can potentially scale if you get traction um, but the other thing that you were talking about i think when I think you were you were talking about the the singles and the chips and stuff like you know the instead of home runs is that a lot of these Interesting businesses or you know fairly straightforward businesses that could potentially make a lot of money on the side, they never look in the same direction that everybody else is, right because the more glamorous a business, the more competitive it is, and the less money you're going to make doing it, and the higher risk there is for failure. A friend of mine here in town, his father-in-law passed away, but he was a he had a huge janitor company. Like he he was a mass he started out as a janitor and he created a multi-million dollar janitorial company. And my friend tells me, uh, yeah, I asked the guy, I asked the guy how he did it. And he said, Well, no one else wanted to clean up the shit. <laughs> so the point is that listen. You can do what I did and start a cosmetic surgery company. And if I had to do it over again, and and luckily we're successful and we're making money still, but that's not smart. There is a, everybody wanted, you know, every surgeon there, there's a plastic surgeon on every block in Chicago. It's not a smart thing to do. But then now we have a, we have a behavioral therapy business where we, um, it's a great business. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, dealing with kids in home with autism we hire behavioral therapists who are specialized in this and there was a need for it. It's underserved in Chicago and, and, um and it's, it's a very, you know, successful thriving business with very little overhead. And it's like, all right, well, that's not very sexy though. Right. It's not sexy. It's, I mean, it's doing a good thing, but it's not sexy at all. No one's looking for that. Um, So that's the moral of the story is, you know, Right. look for look for interesting stuff and and try not to do what everybody else is doing cuz it's going to be hard
0: right like things that come to mind that everybody likes to do is you know all the kids like to play with bitcoin doing buying trading that stuff um short term rentals another one
1: yeah well big i have a bitcoin hedge
0: fund so i won't say but but, <laughs> but that's not that's buying the initial ones. coin offerings. It's right. not. It's most yeah. It's yeah. Like ICOs and pre-sales and and altcoins and stuff. Yeah. Not what these you know these kids on. I mean, there's so many meetup groups. Yeah. Out yeah, there yeah. that be yeah, a Bitcoin investor. I'm like, okay.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, listen. You know, I I have uh, you, and I know you have too. I have attraction in in multifamily real estate. Right. The trouble is that. With that area is that, you know, first of all, we're at the top of the cycle. It's probably not a good time to buy for most people anyway. Um, and if you're just starting to get into it, uh, it's probably not a particularly good time to get into that as well. There's so much competition and everybody makes it seem like it's really easy. I mean, why? Well, in part because a lot of the people who are successful who seem pretty, when you talk to them, they're like, yeah, this, this bonehead
0: just did this. I can't believe how he did it. Dallas made a lot of people look really smart. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: well, that's exactly right. You know, if anybody, but anybody who bought an apartment building of any kind between, you know, 2009 and, and 2015 came out looking like an absolute genius. It doesn't mean that this going to happen again uh, or any, that it's, it's going to happen in, right now if you buy. So, I don't know. And, and it's so competitive. It's so darn competitive and it takes so much to get into. I mean, it's been, so if everybody's looking there, maybe you should look somewhere else. I mean, one of the things I liked about the notes lane is that it's so fragmented that the notes conference that we went to with George, it was so fragmented. You could tell there's no really good education in this. There's no really good platforms for this. And when you see something like that, and if you're a pretty organized guy, you want to make some effort, there's an opportunity there. You can definitely see there's an opportunity there if you're willing in the time and the money, especially for like you engineering guys, because it's a very much a, an underwriting play, right? I mean, there's, there's, it's not, I mean, this is not being a, a, you know, doing due diligence and looking at these apartment buildings and all that. It's, it's really, it's almost an actuarial play. Right.
0: I mean, it's, it's uh, sorting tables and making your own little quasi formulas to make a power ranking in a way. Right.
1: Even though there's uh, some players in it, there, there's some big players in it. It's a huge market. And the reality is there's not a lot of really good, smaller players involved. And the reason for that is there's just, I just don't feel like there's enough education out there. Any good education out there to really get people, um, you know, to the point where they can start executing this on their own. And I think you take that, you take that problem and you turn it into a business because every, 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 every problem is ultimately uh, you
0: can turn into a business. So. Right, right, and and you know a lot of these calls I have, it's with you know the guys like, well, I want to own an apartment building. I'm like, well, where did you get that idea? Just like you know, where would you get the idea to go to college? You know, it's just the normal progression, and I think you need to see what the normal progression is, and like you said, try and get away from that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, and again, I think um, gauge how much work it is versus how much, you know, how much reward there is. Um, you know, I I think that most people, most people are better off investing if they're professionals, busy professionals. They're better off investing in in uh, apartment buildings, et cetera, via some kind of syndication fractional ownership vehicle when they can leverage know a sponsor that is on the ground, an operator who's actually doing the work. I think that's a, a really important distinction. I think usually um, usually at this point, I think that especially given where we are in the cycle, somebody wants to come in and just, you know, I work 40 hours a week <clears throat> or 50 hours a week and I'm going to buy an apartment building. Uh, it, it It may not go well, right? Because as you Is you've come to realize, I think that this is it's more it's it's a little bit more difficult than that. And what I think we're going to see in the next couple of years is cap rates compress. Is a lot of those people who are buying right now, uh, who are flying uh, right now and doing okay, are are going to get killed. Um, You know, part of it is because cap rate compression. That that people there's two things that cap rate compression does. One is obviously, um, you know, you can say listen, now I can't sell this for as much money. Yeah. That's not a real problem if you're cash flowing. Right. But if the, but, but a lot of banks will come back and say, Hey, we've reappraised your, the value of your building. And I don't care if you're really cash flowing, you owe us a bunch of money because your loan to value criteria is not intact. Robert Kiyosaki was telling me that that happened to him back Mm -hmm. in 2008. He's, and then he's like, what do you mean? What do you mean? I need to. He's like, I'm cash flowing in double digits. What do you mean? And and the guy's like, No, well, that's you know, as part of the loan agreement, you have to have you know, you had to have a you know, 70% LTV, and the value of your property has gone way down. So, I think that's going to happen to a lot of these rookies who are jumping in way over their skis, and we've talked about my feelings on this. I won't point anything specifically, <laughs> but you, you kind of know what I'm talking about. So,
0: yeah, I mean, I get, I get pitched all the deals these days and like, you know, I can't tell from first looking at it because they all have a nice shiny, uh PDF, nice uh, portrait with a suit on, you know, they're using crazy assumptions, like 5% rent increases per year, 92, 95% occupancy, just to name a few some of these assumptions they're using. And then I'm like, well, am I, am I doing things wrong? Cause they're like, they seem really certain that this is how they do it.
1: Yeah. Well, and you also have to see who's behind it. I mean, I think that you can't look at anything seriously without knowing who the sponsors are and knowing their track record or having some connection with them, you know, that whole no, like, and trust thing we talk about. Right. I mean, right. you know, 5% uh, increases in rent. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, if you're not going to do much with it, which, most most of these current buyers aren't going to do much to the building. Is not a good assumption. But if you're if you you know if you've got ten million dollars in capital expenditures that you've you know you set aside to do a massive uh, value add, yeah, I mean that's you know that's a very potentially reasonable thing to do because that's the whole play, right? So. So it's totally depends on your you know, your deal. And really though, it ultimately starts with understanding who's behind the deal, who's the sponsor.
0: The Hui Deal Pipeline Club is a free investor club where we work together to crowdsource deals and do due diligence together. Most members in our group graduate to passive investors, but some investors who I've built a relationship over the past few years, have graduated to active operator status. To back our own members in something that they have found their true calling in, I'm rolling out simple passive cash flow lending. Learn more at simplepassivecashflow.com backslash lend or text the word money to 314 665 1767. Again, for more information, check out simplepassivecashflow.com backslash lend or text the word money to 314 665 1767. So I got this, uh, Last few questions here. so simple passive casual listeners are unusual creatures. Um, they're kind of like me. You know you get me in a room with a bunch of W2 workers. They're talking about their frequent flyer miles and their fancy cars, and I'm kind of bored out of my mind. What are your thoughts on this, coping with uh, w2 folks in your daily life? Buck?
1: Oh, well. So now, you know, I live in, I live in Santa Barbara and, and, and actually live like in Montecito and I don't really even know W2 people. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't. It's like everybody here's an entrepreneur, which is pretty cool. Um, uh, it's, I don't, I, I just don't, I don't live in that world anymore. Right. And, um, and for me, it's really good because like my W 2 friends would usually just look at me cross eyed and bored, you know, because um, to them, they left their job at work and they were not, a lot of my W 2 friends, the doctors in specific, were not very aspirational outside of that. So, you know, listen, I think, I think there's, um, I think, you know, the nice thing these days is that if you are the type who, is W2 and you want to learn these different things, you can, you know, create your own communities via things like this. I mean, you've got a podcast, you've got a bunch of people who are just like, you know, you obviously resonate with what Lane does and Lane's not your typical W2 guy. He's, you know, aspirational. He's interested in things outside of just work and, and buying fancy cars and things like that. Um, and then we talk about investing and, and, and creating some level of freedom. The nice thing is that these days you can do that on communities. I mean, we certainly have on, you know, Wealth Formula, Wealth Formula Network. It's part of, part of the course we did, but the, um, but the, the podcasts and, and I know you have a Facebook group. These things, I think, become your new community. Your community doesn't have to be brick and mortar, right? I mean, it's these days, you know, more people spend more time on their phones than they do with other people. So,
0: right, right. Yeah, most times uh, these guys spend more time in their car listening to podcasts. And they become your yeah. friend. There. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So one of your big projects these days is uh, teaching your daughters this uh, this lifestyle, of the entrepreneur. What are some What are some ways that you've kind of tweaked things to teach these lessons?
1: Well, it's a little challenging. Um, because well first of all my girls are little right they're nine five and three so five and three year old you know they're out the nine-year-old I'm trying to try a little bit the challenge is a little bit again we live in an area that there's a tremendous amount of affluence you know um, you know I live about a mile away from Oprah and and you know it's you know massive estates everywhere and that and it just completely warps their sense of, you know.
0: Right. Knowledge. Because one of the ingredients into this whole mess is you need have a pain point, you have a need for money. Yeah. I mean, it's capitalism, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. So, um, so I think I think when you what you do is I have I can't say that I've gotten to the point where I really know how to crack that nut, but I, I can tell you that what I'd like to do with my daughter is, you know, for me, you know, I was talking to George Newberry about this and George and I are very, very similar in mindset. You know, he's, he's kind of a, you know, raging entrepreneur and I I am too. And, um, when we talk about money, we see it very similarly. Uh, George said something that resonated with me. He said, you know, with entrepreneurship, um, yeah, I've made a lot of money, but I always kind of look at money as a way of keeping score. And that's exactly how I look at it. So, you know, what's more addictive than, you know, a game, right? What's more addictive than that? Your little dopamine hits. And that's effectively what I do. So with my oldest daughter, I think she's a lot like me. And um, I think that that's what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to create this sort of an environment of, you know games right like how can we make money let's try to make some money and so i think i might try to do some projects with her for example um i'm looking at potentially doing something like amazon uh book arbitrage you know like amazon will buy back books immediately after you buy them <laughs> the lower cost and automate that things like that where you know i can actually you know instead of giving her an allowance i was thinking about giving her business loans <laughs> <laughs> or if she wanted to sell something online or something like that, instead of giving her money, giving her things to sell, um, I think there's lots of ways to do it. Um, the other thing is when she does make money, I'm willing to basically take her money and and pay her, you know, pay her cash flow in exchange if she wants to lock it up for a year. So there's lots of different things you can
0: do. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good idea. That the, I've heard of that concept of the gamification, right. Guy does it on his like his website for like diet and exercise because people obviously don't like to do that. It's like they don't really like to do money stuff. Yeah. Kind of makes it into this like game where you get like points, you know, like I mean a lot of my audience can resonate with this, you know, playing Zelda or all these RPGs Final Fantasy growing up. You know, what are you doing playing this game, right? Oh I'm right. collecting these items and getting experience points and collecting spells so you can get more spells and more experience points.
1: Well, yeah. And so (laughs) to me, like honestly, business and doing entrepreneurial stuff, it's, it's, that's what it is. I mean, it's, it's total dopamine hits. That's all it is. Right. So if I understand that about myself and how do I get her excited? It's not that I, I, you know, I don't really care if she's making a lot of money or whatever when she grows up, but I just want her to be industrious. I want her to be excited about something. So I think planting some of these seeds of like, you know, creating your own business or, you know, understanding how you can make money and doing it yourself and seeing those as victories, I think is, is, is powerful. I mean, because otherwise, you know, if, if all they have is these, you know, it's so, you know, they've got everything they want, you know, they've got everything they, they need. There's no pain. Right. So how? what's the only other option in my view is to make it into a game. So, yeah.
0: So what if they want to, you know, you teach them all this. What if they just want to work for the man or do Peace Corps?
1: Sure. I mean, actually, personally, um, I, I just want them to be happy. I don't really, I don't really care. I just want them to be happy and industrious. You know, I, I, I just don't want them to worry about money too much. I think they'll be okay there. Um, but I do, but I just want them to be happy and industrious. And so, um, I think sometimes though, that these things, you know, you take a little bit of genetics and you take a little bit of teaching. What I mean by genetics is, you know, there's certain things about my daughter. I mean, they're just, she's just like me, right? I mean, it, they, I didn't teach her to be that way. She just is. And, and then when you have that, it's almost like if you're a parent, and you have a kid like that, it's kind of cool for a kid if their parent is willing to teach them. It's like, you know, this kid came with like an instruction book, mm-hmm. right? Like an instruction manual or something like that because <laughs> I know exactly like the way she is right now. So I just have to put myself in her shoes and say, what would get me motivated? What would make me excited? But, and listen, I don't think it's, for me, it's not about the money, but it is about about making sure that I feel like they're doing things being industrious and not running around like the Kardashians or something.
0: You know? Right. Right. To be able to make the decision. Right. In the future. Well, cool. I mean, you've, you've kind of focusing on uh, teaching the kids, but you know, you've got this course that pretty much summed up the last couple of years at Wealth Formula. Tell us about that.
1: Well, it's more than that. I mean, it's, it, this is a course called uh, uh, your roadmap to real wealth. So again, back uh in 2009 and 2010, when I started that business and I started to make money for the first time in my life, you know, a big part of this transition for me was reading Robert Kiyosaki and and saying, "Well, gosh, there's this cash flow quadrant out there, and now I have to, what do I do next?" And that's what I couldn't figure out because Robert's books are fantastic, but they don't really give you the next step. How to book? Yeah, it's not a how to book. It's 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 more a mindset book. Okay, here you go that's why you see people running around saying, yeah, passive income, man. I'm a yeah. passive income,
0: right? But Sell so this lipstick and these tights and these bags, yeah? <laughs> Robert Kiyosaki.
1: <laughs> hey, I want to tell you a secret. Did you know about cash flow? <laughs> yeah.
0: We're saying telecom oh. services.
1: Right. So instead, of, so at that point, I was there too, right? So I'm like, cash flow, want to do something big? So um, I started making money. I started realizing then, okay, so now I'm making money, so I'm doing it in this other quadrant, but now I want to invest this stuff. That's where I think a lot of professionals really trip up because it's like, okay, you can make a lot of money, but now what do you do with it? And again, going back to that whole school system and conventional wisdom, when there's no more school and there's no more curriculum, we turn to conventional wisdom. And conventional wisdom in the world of finance is a problem because it was written by Wall Street. And Wall Street, it's sort of like the, the fox uh, guarding the hen house, right? It's they're telling you what to do. And in the meantime, they're gonna leech up all your money. The dog, Lane? Yeah.
0: Um, so That's the signal. That's the signal we gotta wrap this up, Sam. <laughs>
1: okay. So <laughs> So bottom line is uh bottom line is I created the course that I wish I had back in two thousand nine. Um, when I went from ultimately since then You know, I've gone from, you know, being several, a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt to, you know, being, being um, in the, you know, eight figure uh, territory with net worth. How do you get there? And what's the play by play? And I'm not just talking about investing. It's not just about real estate. It's, uh, it's understanding that there's a completely different way of thinking. And there ultimately is two tiers of investors in this world. There's the poor middle class, uh, and even the upper middle class. And then there's the affluent. They run by two different sets of rules. They have two different sets of strategies. And, um, and who do you think does better?
0: Oh, right? The rich guys. I've the seen rich that. guys.
1: Yeah. And so what I'm doing in this course is revealing what I've learned in the last seven, eight years, because the reason I've been able to, to create as much wealth as I have in a short period of time, is because I've moved myself out of investing like everybody else into the world of the ultra-wealthy. And I did that before I ever became what some people would call part of that affluent group. And so, you know, it's, it's, you have to take that leap and start applying some of these things, some of these strategies, um, some of this mindset, and frankly, some of these actual people into your life whether that's for, you know, asset protection, whether that's for taxes, et cetera. So we get this incredible group of people teaching this course. I mean, you know, a lot of them, you know, when it comes to real estate, you've got, you know, Ken McElroy, you know, rich dad advisor, uh, and 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 the real estate guys. And we've been in taxes. We've got Tom Wheelwright doing several hours. We had Kevin Day talking about estate planning for several hours. Dean Graziosi on mindset. I mean, he's he's one of the, big names in mindset, you know, a guy who's got a billion dollar business. So this is an all-star crew. We shot it live in Phoenix. Um, and then there's a bunch of screen flows that I've done personally as well. Hugely, um, you know, huge effort to put this together. And, um, and it also includes uh, membership to the Wealth Formula Network, which is ultimately one of my big messages in there is that investing is a team sport uh, and you have to have, People around you who are successful and uh those people are going to uh, uh, uh there's a collective intelligence that's going to help you grow your wealth so that's really what it is and it's called your roadmap to real wealth and I'm
0: sure you'll love uh and if I know you you get really antsy when you consume content or you know all these videos out there that are just kind of really lame and don't really provide any value but if I've known from your previous Webinars you do, it's very, uh, it's new stuff. It's not like stuff you've heard before, the free giveaway kind of stuff. So this is the real deal, folks. Buck, are you going to be doing uh, the special consults for some of my guys? Maybe do a couple of them? if People yeah. sign up? I know that went you know, away in, in April.
1: Yeah, I mean, we can do that. You know, that your guys sign up, we can do, uh, you know, my, for my group, we, uh, we certainly did this uh, one-hour um, coaching and strategy. And, uh um, I think Lane, you could probably attest to the benefit of that yourself, but um the so what what we'll do is typically um once if you sign up for the course, you can do this for your group too We'll do what I do is I send out like a bunch of questions, we try to figure out where you are and and then really try to build your own personal roadmap from there. so I think a lot of people are finding that really beneficial, certainly in my group, and uh happy to. Happy to do it for yours as well.
0: There's your uh, Easter egg, there, guys, for staying to the end of this uh, webinar. And uh, if you guys, check out the website Simple Passive backslash Buck, B-U-C-K. Um, check out details there. And um, yeah, thanks for coming on, Buck. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, we'll do this again maybe in four or five years once you write write that <laughs> uh, that kid's book. How do you raise a kid?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good. That's
0: actually okay. a good point. Start writing that now. Yeah, start writing notes. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. Got to get back to work or got to (laughs) go. All right. Take care. All right. Bye Bye bye. the content found here is just my opinion and things change and i reserve the right to change my mind above all else do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests